I am looking today. I'm actually looking forward to your reaction as well, uh, because the title of this sermon series is Awkward Moments. Awkward moments. You know, in the Bible, there's a lot of awkward moments, especially if you take some of the scriptures, the, some of the teaching, and try to tell people in public uh, about your ideas about these awkward moments. And what Jesus, some of the things Jesus said and the Bible teaches, there, there's just some awkward things in there. And today I'm going to be talking about one of those awkward moments. And these are, uh, these are teachings that may confront our comfort zone. If we embrace, and we do, if we're here today, I expect that most of you are here because you either want to follow Christ or you are following Christ. There are some times where we have to kind of go past our comfort zone and embrace what God has for us in spite of the fact that it may be hard to understand and hard perhaps even to embrace. It might, it might test us and we might have to go past our comfort zone. And one of the areas is, uh, is found in a story in the book of John. And uh, it's all, today's topic is actually about the harvest. And sometimes it's hard for us as believers to, you know, to share our faith and to talk about Christ in the public or even in private one-on-one with somebody. But today we're going to be talking about harvest. And uh, the story goes... Jesus was in the southern part of Palestine in, in Judea, which is where Jerusalem is located. And he, uh, he found himself getting a little bit more famous than he wanted to. And I'm not sure why he was thinking that, but he, he, you know, he was led of the Spirit. He, he knew what was going on and what he was supposed to be doing and when. And so he was going to head back to a more obscure part of the country in the north where he actually came from, and that's in, in Nazareth and the, Gal- the area of Galilee. And he was, he was heading north from Jerusalem. And uh, he was on his way through an area that's kind of in between Judea and Galilee. And that is Samaria. Now, Samaria, we're going to be talking about this. Samaria was uh, uh, one of those places that Jewish people didn't really feel comfortable being in. And we'll talk about that a little later. But it was awkward actually just being there. A lot of times... In fact, when people were traveling from Judea to Galilee, they would actually go around. They're on foot, and they're going to go like around this whole province and miss, you know, not be walking or traveling through um, Samaria. And and so Jesus is on his way, but he went. He was just going to cut through Samaria because it was shorter, and he he wasn't against Samaria. He didn't have problems like that. Of course, he had disciples with him. And he was traveling, and he ended up in this area, this little town called Sychar. And that town called Sychar had one of the most famous wells in it. And I have my wonderful assistants. I have a, a new fellow in the church all the way from the Philippines, Dominic, if you could grab that end of that rope. And, and uh, David Peterson, who comes to our church, and uh, he is going to grab this end. And that well, if you can just head back that way, please, Dominic. And uh, that well, it, it was out in the middle. And it was, you, you, you got to keep going back, Dave, I think. Oh, we don't, don't tell me it's too far. Okay, I never, I didn't, okay, there we go. That well was 100 feet, 33 meters or 30 meters deep, dug by hand. That's how deep the well was. Now, 
um, I was talking to my wife, Ev, and we were trying to decide if the water was 100 feet down, or like the top of the water, or, or what. But all I know is that the, the well was 100 feet deep, and apparently it's still there, and it's dry now. And I think uh, they say that probably some kind of earthquake activity happened in the well, the underground water system wasn't working right. And so, anyway, the, the well is still there. So Jesus came to this well and uh, met this woman. Okay, thanks, guys. Give him a hand. Like, that's a that's 100 feet. Come on, you guys. Way to go. You know, I, I can't think of 100 feet in my head until I have something like that to help me. I guess I probably could have, should have known just, it's probably about as long, as wide as this building. Ralph, you could have told me that right now because he built this place. But anyways, that's, that's how deep, you've got to put it up, up this way, that's how far down that well went. All dug by hand, that's crazy, that's a, that's a, that's a lot of work. So Jesus, he, he, um, he, he, he walked to this place, and okay, so we're going to be talking about harvest. If you can go back one, um, that's right. This, this is, when we think of harvest, perhaps we think of, a group like this. This is a small little meeting that Reinhard Bonnke had a few years back in Nigeria. There was only a million people there in that group. Can you imagine a service, a Christian meeting with a million people? Didn't happen too often. You know, we had smaller meetings, you know, a couple hundred thousand here, here, hundred, couple hundred thousand there. But this was one of his biggest meetings that he had. And someone took a photo, and I don't know if they actually counted. I was thinking, did they really count those people? Or was it one of those, well, I figure that much and it's probably around a million. Anyway, that's a big group. Uh, those white lines are, you know, pastors in their white shirts. That's, that's just, that's a lot of people. But today we're talking about the harvest and Jesus taught, taught about the harvest in the context of one person. Now, this, this one person, of course, it did turn into more, but he met this woman at the well. Frankly, I don't know if that's Jacob's well or not. In fact, I kind of doubt it, and the reason I doubt it is because Jacob's well right now is inside a church. They built, literally built a church around Jacob's well. And so this is a, a Jacob's well, you know, lookalike, I guess. And I, I was thinking, oh, well, what about that tree there? And then I was thinking back to my friend in Malawi, and, you know, we put a well in his property of the water. Of course, they use the well water for washing outside. And so, you know, it's actually become lush. And it could easily be that, you know, when Jacob put that well in there, there were no trees. And maybe there was a tree. Maybe there wasn't. I don't know. But that's just a picture. Jesus met this woman at the well. And he, he, was, actually, he was actually tired from this, this journey from Jerusalem uh, to, uh, to, to Samaria, where he ended up in Sychar. And so this is the connection. Now, this is where it gets awkward. Okay, this is the connection between awkward moments and, and harvest. And so uh, Jesus, he did that, and it says in John chapter 4, and if you want to follow along in your Bible, you can see. I'm not going to have all the scriptures on the screen. Uh, if you have your apps or your Bibles with you. But it does say that he got to this place in the village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And uh, in verse 6, it says, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, he sat wearily beside the well, and it was around noontime. 
And soon a Samaritan woman came out to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And so here's Jesus at noon at this well talking to one person, a woman who's from Samaria. And uh, this turns out to be something that was culturally awkward. And there were some reasons why. And uh, it says that, you know, the woman was surprised because Jewish people refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. And so she said to Jesus, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman, why are you asking me for a drink? And there are some people that think that perhaps the the woman, because she wasn't very well accepted in her own town, usually women would go to get water when it's cooling off at the end of the day or also at the very beginning of the day. But here it was right in the middle of noon, and she was by herself, and a lot of times it's a social thing for women uh, to to do the get the water from the well and and so anyways it, that that may or may not be true but she said to Jesus why are you talking to me <laughs> and of course he's sitting there by a well and there's it's a hundred feet deep he can't get water <laughs> he has nothing with him he didn't bring a rope that was deep that was long enough and uh, you know one of those you know bags of leather leather bucket things that they used to use. And so, anyways, he didn't have that. So she was wondering, and see, there's some history there between the Samaritans uh, 700 years or so prior to Christ when the, uh, when the Assyrian people, the Assyrians came to the kingdom of Israel and beat, beat up on them and took almost the entire nation hostage and took all of the northern kingdom of Israel, all but a few people, he took them out of there, and he resettled. This is how they would, you know, make their um, make their world domination work. They would resettle people. So they resettled people in northern Israel, uh, in the in the area of Samaria. He, uh, the, the the king of of Assyria, and his name was uh, Sargon, and and he took people from Iraq and Iran and Syria. That's modern day countries because I can't pronounce the ones that are on the screen there. And so he, he brought people in and resettled the land with people from outside. And now these uh, leftover remnant people in, northern, uh, in the northern kingdom of Israel in Samaria, they, they ended up intermarrying with these people that were settled in there. Um, and, the, you know, it's quite a story. If you look at it, you can Take a look at it in Second Kings 17. But they got into major trouble because they weren't serving the Lord. And so the king brought in a priest to get them to teach, to teach them, you know, how to serve the Lord. And they didn't really succeed very well. Let's just put it that way. They ended up getting their own temple because they had this conflict with, uh, with uh, Nehemiah. About 300 years later, Nehemiah came and he was trying to rebuild Jerusalem, and the Samaritans wanted to help. Not sure why. Some people think they had mixed motives. But anyways, they, they were rejected, and so they said, fine, and then they started fighting and making it harder and harder for Israel to rebuild their place in, in, uh, in Judah. Uh, and so, a long story short, there was a lot of problems. They ended up actually building their own temple very close to Sychar. Uh, not the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, but they built their own. 
the Samaritans did, thinking, well, we can worship God too. And that lasted for about 300 years between the 5th century and the 2nd century B.C., and then it got demolished. And uh, so, anyway, so at Jesus, during Jesus' time, the, the idea, perhaps some rubble of the temple on the mount uh, close by there to, uh, to, to Sychar, uh, that was there, but there was no temple. But they still went there to worship, the Samaritans did. So there was this fight between the Jewish people who worshipped in Jerusalem and the, and the Samaritan people who worshipped on this mountain uh, close by to Sychar where this well is. And so there was this, these irreconcilable differences. It was, like the, it was like feuding people, old offenses for you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. And there was just a lot of bitterness, a lot of squabbling, a lot of pride, and so that's why the Jewish people didn't like to go through Samaria on their way uh, between, you know, Judea and Galilee. So there's that, the fact is that she was a Samaritan, and so she's going, why, why are you talking to me? And she said, she said something else. She says, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. And, of course, it was, it was also kind of awkward uh, because... Men and women out in public were not talking to each other uh, in any sort of way. And so here's Jesus. He ends up, as you probably know if you know the story, but you can read the story. We're going to talk about it a little bit. But she, uh, she was a, a woman. And uh, it says that when the disciples came back from town, they had bought some food. I don't think it was McDonald's, but I don't know what they bought. They bought some bread and maybe some cheese and some... some uh, some kind of vegetables maybe, you know, raw veggies. It was great picnic time. And so they brought back the food, and they, they see Jesus talking to this woman. And they didn't like that. It was very awkward for Jesus to be talking to a Samaritan. It was very awkward for Jesus to be talking to a Samaritan woman. And, uh, in fact, it says, no one dared... <laughs> I love this. They didn't dare ask the woman, do you want something? Can I help you? You know, if, if you go and talk to someone and they say, if you're in a store and you say, can I help you? They actually mean I'd like to help you. But if you're someplace and the person doesn't think you should be there and they go, can I help you? It's not really, can I help you? It's more like, what do you want? What are you doing here? And maybe you should leave now. <laughs> That's, but they, they wanted to say that, but they didn't. Because after all, you know, Jesus was talking to this woman. He didn't look upset. In fact, he looked like he was very engaged with the conversation. And also, they wanted to ask Jesus, you know, why are you talking to her? <laughs> Don't you know? <laughs> You're not supposed to be doing this in public? And um, they didn't ask him that. They just, they just left it. But it was a very awkward moment because she was a Samaritan woman. And of course, as the story unfolded, it was also awkward because she was a Samaritan woman, Samaritan woman with five previous husbands, and now she's living with someone that isn't her husband. I mean that that was a big deal back then, and it's a big. De- it's not such a big deal today for a lot of people, but as far as the church is concerned, we still don't believe in that, right? We don't believe in living together, man and woman, without having been married. We don't. We we don't believe that. But uh, in fact, that. You know, that's maybe not so different in our culture today, but it was awkward 
very awkward. If they would, they probably didn't know her, but uh, they well, no, they didn't know her. But uh, it, it was still an awkward time, even uh, even for Jesus at that time. Not that he felt awkward, but he's speaking to this woman. Jesus actually in their conversation, uh, he, he says, "Well, what you should do is," he said, "He's not tricking her. He's just trying to be subtle. It's sort of a." Middle Eastern thing, that subtlety. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. So now she's being vulnerable with him. And he says, well, you're right. In fact, he says to her, you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now isn't your husband. And she goes, are you a prophet? <laughs> and so, he, you know, she was, she was not one of those people that, you know, the culture of the day would look up to as being a great example of, you know, a family person. You know, she had experiences with guys. Uh, She had at least five, well, she had at least six experiences with guys, probably more. And, you know, she had these five previous husbands. Some of them might have passed away. She might have been widowed. I don't know exactly. But here she is living with this guy. Jesus was accused often in his life of all kinds of things. One time they said, oh, you have a demon. Another time this and that. And he, one of the things he was accused of, it's uh, he, in Matthew 11, he is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. <laughs> and, you know, that's just the reputation that he had because he would accept people where they were. And he accepted this woman, but it was very awkward for the disciples and probably anyone else I was around because here's this teacher this rabbi, and he's hanging out with a woman like this, you know, Samaritan woman with five previous husbands, and now she's playing house with somebody else. It just wasn't, it was, it was awkward for people. And like I say, I don't believe Jesus was feeling awkward. In fact, he loves each and every one of us the same. No matter what we've done, no matter what we do, he loves us. He's not awkward. If we come to him or talk to him, he doesn't feel awkward about that at all, ever. Amen. That's awesome. So I, I was quite taken with this, and I was thinking about, uh, it's you know, Jesus, he's a glutton, a drunkard, friend of tax collectors. I found a, a, a poll for Ipsos Reed, from Ipsos Reed in Canada. The top, the top and least trusted professions in Canada. Who are the Samaritans of today, well, some of us, some of us might think of gangsters and, you know, uh, gangs and, you know, uh, uh, cartels. Maybe we think of the homeless people or, or addicted people as as sort of, you know, the castaways. But in Canada, I was quite interested to see firefighters are the most trusted profession in Canada, uh, and that's seventy seventy seven percent. Uh, of people in Canada that, were, that answered this poll said that you know, firefighters were, were their number one. You know who was the least? Telemarketers. Four percent of Canadians trust telemarketers. <laughs> um, no offense. I'm trying to think if I know any car salespeople here. But car salespeople were a little bit better than telemarketers. Oh, I trust him very much, but 
it says here, national politicians. <laughs> Only 6% of people consider them trustworthy or most trusted. That's national politicians. Uh, church leaders, we're on the list, but we're 15th from the bottom, and we're not 4%, we're, we're at 24%. So church leaders, we're doing a little better, uh, but there's a lot of reasons for that. And uh, if you're a plumber, you're 1% better. And if you're a financial advisor, you're 3% less <laughs> than, a, than a pastor or a church leader. Uh, just looking through here. I won't, I won't even talk about airport baggage handlers. That's not appropriate in this church. But anyways, uh, we'll just leave that. Okay, thanks, Kevin. I saw you come in. That's why I said that. So Jesus was talking to this woman, and he was talking to his disciples, and the fact that he was talking to this woman, he was talking to his disciples just by doing that. Because he was making a point about sometimes it's awkward to get involved with the harvest. But the message that Jesus had, he did, he was very intentional. Half the stuff that he said was a slam against the, 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 uh, the Jewish people. Like the, um, what are those hypocrite ones? The Pharisees, thank you. My mind, is, my mind goes blank too often. Uh, Pharisees, you know, he, a lot of the stuff that he talked about and did was actually a, a very subtle or not so subtle slam against them. And when you're reading the New Testament, the Gospels, that's probably the first place you should go and try to figure out, what is he doing? But this was not a slam against the Pharisees. This was an instruction to his disciples just talking to that woman was a, a slam, or not a slam, a teaching to his disciples, think, talking about the harvest. And uh, he started with the one. And as the story goes along, it says that she ran back to town and many people believed her story and they started heading out to the well uh, to, to see Jesus. And then, uh, so that was many. And then They asked Jesus to stick around for a few days, which he wasn't planning on doing. He was just going to kind of jet and go up to um, his home country there in Galilee. And the the Bible says that after a while, for those two days, many more people came to believe in Christ. So he started with one, and then there was the many, and then there was the many more. And so the harvest works sometimes works that way where you may not speak to a lot of people, uh, but sometimes we might just speak to one person and we don't know what they're going to do. We don't know what kind of impact they're going to have. As it turns out, there were many people who believed in Jesus just because of that one woman, that one person. He talked to her about water. What a great segue. You know, he's sitting at the well, this ancient well that was you know, dug by Jacob so many years ago and both the Samaritans and the Jewish people had Jacob in common and the, the well, of course, water is common for, for everybody. And so uh, she says, why are you asking me for a drink? And he says, well, if you knew the kind of water that I have, you, you'd ask me for a drink. And, of course, that, that's, uh, that's interesting. That's not awkward at all. That's just interesting, I think. And so she's going like, what are you talking about? You don't have any water. There's, she's looking around for some kind of provisions. He wasn't carrying anything, probably. He might have, been carry, he might have had some of the stuff there just as he was waiting and the other guys went into town. I have no idea what he had with him, but he had no water. He had no 100-foot, you know, 100-foot rope. And so 
he talked to her about living water. He talked to her about the Holy Spirit. And he, he said, if you knew the kind of water that I have, he says, if, if you drink this water, you'll be thirsty again. But if you drink this, 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 the water that I have for you, you will never be thirsty again. It will become a fresh bubbling spring within you, giving them eternal life. And she said, please, sir, give me this water. I was just talking to a guy yesterday and, uh, at a party, and he was saying to me that uh, he said so. He, didn't, he noticed I wasn't drinking, and I, I thought he knew me better, but he didn't. And so he says, he, uh, you know, you're having a dry January. And I, it was noisy in this place, and I didn't, I, and I didn't quite hear him. And he, I, I said, I, no, I think it's, I, well, I live in White Rock. It's a lot drier than it is here because they were in, out close to Mission. And he says, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about alcohol. I said, oh, oh, I don't drink. I haven't drank for 40 years. And, and he says, four, four zero? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, it's probably been longer than that because I've, I've really... I mean, I just never did. It's, I've never been drunk. You know, I don't, never, never tried, you know, recreational drugs. So it's just, that's just the way I am. And he's just shaking his head. And he said, I'm interested in your motivation. And I, so I told him a little bit about, the, you know, he knew I'm a pastor. And so I said, you know, it's not fair. But people look at pastors as an example. And then, you know, I don't want to give them an excuse if they're in recovery or whatever. And, you know, they look at me and then they're going to be, thinking, well, if he can do social drinking, so can I, and blah, blah, blah. And I just don't want to go there. And he goes, oh, that's interesting. I'm really interested in people's motivations around this. And, and I said, well, you know, why do you drink? But, well, you know, this guy's 20. He's young, so he's, we, I just love him. And, uh, and so he says, well, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. I said, yeah, I kind of get that. I said, but let me tell you, what, what my experience is. is, is I said, you know, I told him my faith, my, my faith gives me pretty much everything that people use alcohol for. You know, I have, I, I can receive comfort. I, I can receive peace. I can receive uh, like an escape away from situations. I, I can, you know, I can have hope for my life all because knowing God gives me that. And he he goes, oh, that's really interesting. He says, where do you preach anyway? I said, well, I told him where our church is. and He lives a long ways away, so I'll see him again. But, you know, that segue, right? So that, that's that living water that Jesus was talking about to this woman. And so he, he shared that with her, and then, and then she says, give me this water. He, then, then Jesus says, okay, well, go get your husband. And that whole part of the conversation happened. And, and she says, are you, are you a prophet? Then she started going into the religious conversation, and I, I don't hate them because they're, they're useful, but they're not that useful. And so people are a bit uncomfortable for her, a little bit awkward for her because now Jesus is talking to her about her personal life. And, you know, she's going, I, I wasn't sure we were going to go there, this conversation. But anyway, so he, he talks to her, and then, and then he, he talks to her about worship. He says, well, really, the time's coming when it won't be about this mountain where the Samaritans have their rubble or the Jerusalem temple over here. It'll be about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And it wasn't, it wasn't long. And like I said, the disciples, um, the disciples were on their way back. And Jesus probably saw them there. And, and she says, well, we know that the Messiah is coming. Now, here's where you and I are different from Jesus because uh, we don't testify about ourselves. 
See, the pressure's off of us. We don't have to be perfect to witness to people or tell people about Jesus. We just have to know him. Jesus, on the other hand, he is the savior of the world, right? So she says, well, I know the Messiah is coming. And he says, well, that's me. You're talking to him right here. And she looks. Her eyes must have gotten big. And she booted it back to town. She left her bucket there. And she ran back to town, you know, telling everybody, come and see this guy who told me everything about me. And you guys all know too. So come on, let's go. And so in the meantime, the disciples came back and, you know, they were, they were talking to Jesus and talking to her and says, you know, or maybe they weren't talking. They were, you know, they came back and, and so forth. She left her water jar beside the well, ran back to the village, telling everybody, And so the Bible says people came streaming from the village toward the well. Interesting. So Jesus now, he's with his guys again. He's with his disciples. And he starts talking to them about the harvest. And uh, the first thing they said is, you know, Rabbi, you know, we brought lunch. Eat something. And, of course, Jesus, again, I think it's that culture, that Middle Eastern culture. It's a little bit subtle, and it's a little different than the way we would. Uh, Jesus says, well, you know, I have food that you don't know anything about. And they're going, really? <laughs> what are you talking about? And, and he, they knew that he didn't have any, you know, any snacks with him. But, uh, but anyways, he says, my nourishment, and now I... I'm, uh, I'm on number 13, Dwight, I, I, just so you know where I'm at. My nourishment, Jesus said, comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. And he said, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe and ready for harvest. And the disciples are looking around, and it looks rather bleak out there. They don't see any crops but Jesus wasn't talking about food, and he wasn't talking about crops. He was talking about doing the will of the Father and talking about the harvest. And so the first thing I want to talk about is passion. And the teaching that Jesus gave was passion. So now you've had the introduction, uh, and we've got, you know, we've got about eight minutes to give the sermon. Are you ready? Okay. So there was, there was this passion. He said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. And um, I don't know about you, but I, I'm not a fan of skipping meals. I'm just not. You can tell. Uh, he was, uh, this guy was talking to me yesterday about, you know, people that drink, they get, they get beer and beer bellies. And I said, yeah, my, I got 100% pizza right here, buddy. And so, so anyways, I don't like skipping meals. And in fact, a lot of you guys, you can relate to me and those who live with them and love them. Hangry. I get hangry if I haven't had my meals in time. And so, you know, when I'm hungry, I'm not, I'm not comfortable. It's awkward. It's awkward. You don't want to meet me if I haven't had breakfast and now it's about four o'clock in the afternoon. I don't like that and I'm not happy. Uh, so, you know, someone, some, what is the, one of the first questions, especially you husbands when you come home, if your wife's at home, what's for dinner? And if she's not home, you're texting her. What am I supposed to do for dinner? It's just one of the first things we think about. Am I the only one? 
There's a passion involved with natural food. And Jesus says, I've got a passion like that for doing the will of my Father. My meat, my nourishment, my passion is to fulfill the will of God. And I'm asking you and I'm asking me, because you've been hangry in the last week, even if you had food, your stomach probably stretched from too much turkey, and you just get hungry at times where you, I shouldn't even be hungry right now. And it's not comfortable. So that passion, do we have a passion for God's will, like we have a passion to have a snack attack? That's a good question, isn't it? See, I've gone from preaching to being in your face again, right? To inter- interfering in your life. That's what, that's what I'm here for, folks. That's why you keep coming back. You could read this at home. I could just text you the message. But, you know, um, I, I want us to really get a hold of what's the teaching that Jesus... Why did Jesus talk to that woman at the well? And it was so awkward. What was his point? He wanted to talk about the harvest to his guys. He sent them away for food so he could talk to them about passion. For, for fulfilling the will of God. He said, I've, I've got a purpose. And you know, a lot of us, we forget. You know, we, we think about this, we think about that, and we get uh, discouraged, we, we get all kinds of emotions. But Jesus had a purpose in his life, and I believe that you and I also have a purpose. He says, I... I want to uh, fulfill the will of God who sent me. God sent me. The Father sent me. And the Father, Jesus said, just like the Father sent me, I'm sending you. He said that a little later in the same, in the same book of John. And so what really needs to happen is we have to know that we're here on purpose. We're here on assignment. You know, you and I, we might think, well, you know, you know, I'm, it's not about Reinhard Bonnke or Mike or, you know, St. Peter or whatever. You and I, each one of us individually, we have a purpose. God has called us for a reason. And he saved you because he wants to know you and he wants to love you. That's number one. But he also has a purpose for you. He wants you to fulfill that purpose. What is my purpose in life and am I fulfilling it? Certainly, one of my purposes One of my jobs in life is to love this woman right here. To treat her the best I can. To do everything I can to help her and to to love her. That is a purpose from God. That isn't just, oh, well, I married her because she's beautiful, which she is. But it's a purpose. It's a call of God now. The one that you're married to, that's the right woman or the right man. That's, That's the one. Right? That's God's will for you. That's your purpose. If you have kids, grandkids, your purpose is to help them to know Jesus, number one, to do everything you can to help them and bless them and give them gifts and Christmas presents and all that. But really, your purpose is to raise them to know, to know God. That's an eternal thing. Very important. Anyways, I could go on and on about purpose. That's not really uh, what this message is all about. But really, the purpose... Connecting it to the harvest. And the, se- the, the third thing is that, that perseverance. Uh, many Samaritans uh, came from the village. They believed in Jesus. And, and he said, you know what? They said to him, would you please stick around? 
stick around for a couple of days. And he stayed there for two days long enough for many, many, many more people to believe in his message. He says, I want to, what does it say? God sent me, do the will of God, my nourishment, do the will of God, sent me, and finish the work. Like, do your job, finish it. Don't just do part of it, do all of it. And so we have to have that perseverance. And last but not least, uh, and this is my final point that starts with the letter P, is the perspective. And that is this. He, you know, Jesus, he was tired and he was hangry. He was tired, thirsty, walking. You know, it's, it's, I think it was it 65K from Jerusalem to Sychar on foot. You know, that's a fair, fair jaunt. <laughs> I don't know if he... I don't know how long it took him to get there. Uh, but the point is, is, is that he had this perspective. Even if he wasn't feeling 100%, he could have just, you know, I'll t- tell you, when I, I'm going to be going, God willing, going to Malawi this year. And, you know, the part I don't look forward to is like the 35 hours of flights and airport sitting and waiting. And, you know, it's not all that comfortable. It's not the worst thing, but it's, it's not great. And, you know, it, it, it's just, when I do that, I don't really want to talk to anybody. <laughs> I don't get lonely. I just don't want to talk. I don't want to, sit, I want, I want to talk to the person beside me. I don't want to talk to anybody. But that's just me. But Jesus, he had a perspective. He's, he says, I'm engaged. I got my eyes open. He says, listen, you guys, you got to have your eyes open to see the harvest. The harvest is ready. This woman was ready. I might not have wanted to talk to her, but I did <laughs> because I'm on purpose. I have, I have nutrition that is just doing God's will. That's what makes me tick. And he says, I, I, I want you guys to be aware that out there there is a harvest ready for you in your world. He says, lift up your eyes. Wake up, he says. Look around. Keep your head up. Be aware, as they say, put your head on a swivel. And he realized that the fields are already ripe for the harvest. They're out there. Our job isn't to try to convince anybody. There are people in our world that are ready to hear the message. The fields are white. We just got to find out which one it is. And God will help us. Amen. Well, you know what? There's more that we could say. But enough is enough, right? So let's stand together, please, if we would. And this year, 2019, how about, how about each one of us just keep our eyes open? What if that one person in our world, we might have not even met them yet, could be like this woman and she, we could have a conversation with, with her or him and they could go and find, you know, 30 of their friends And all those people come to know Christ. What a great harvest that would be from the one to the many or the many more. Let's keep our eyes open. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your wonderful grace. Your grace has touched us. And Lord, I just pray for, uh, for each and every one in this room here today that you will give us eyes to see the harvest, that we will have this Uh, this hunger to do your will, 
this desire to fulfill our call. Lord, to the the perseverance, to, to finishing the work that you've called us to do. And Lord, also to just keep our eyes and and ears tuned to what the Holy Spirit would do in our lives. Now, just as we're just here in a prayerful attitude, if you could just stay that way for a moment. If you're here today and, you know, you just really don't feel like you know God the way you'd like to, if you'd like to know him today, you can invite him into your life. And really, it's so simple. You've heard the word before, even if you're not really that familiar with it. The word is repent. That just means to turn away from following Christ or following life your way and following Christ. Turning away from the old ways to follow Christ. To come to him, confess your sin to him, believe in him, and he can change you from the inside. And so if you'd like to do that, just pray along with me in your own heart right now. Say, dear God, I know that I have not followed you the way I'm supposed to. I'm turning away from my sin. I'm turning, away, turning toward you. Come and make me clean on the inside. Forgive me of all my sins and cleanse my heart. I want to serve you today. That's the kind of prayer that you can pray. And God will come into your life and he will change you from the inside out. He will save you. He, he, he knows you. He loves you. And he wants you to embrace him today. And so for everyone, I just pray God's rich blessing upon you. I pray that God will give you vision to see the harvest in your life. In spite of the fact that it might get awkward, that you will have freedom to communicate the love of Jesus to somebody else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. We have people that will pray for you. Uh, Don't be shy. Receive that prayer. There's coffee on. Some goodies there as well. Glad you were able to be here today. Thank you.